My name is Kevin Lutchman and we are currently backstage once again at Lutchman Studios and this is Backstage with Kevin Lutchman. This is a podcast talking about lifestyle, music, photography and all things creative. Guys, welcome to Backstage with Kevin Lutchman. Hi guys, my name's Kevin Lutchman and we're here backstage at Lutchman Studios. And today my guest sitting in the chair is Mr. Sheriff Memer. So Sheriff is a barber, he's an educator and he's also the founder of Envy Barbers London, which he has in Covent Garden and Chingford. So welcome Sheriff. Hi Kevin, (laughs) thanks for having me. Thank you for coming here. So like today really just wanted to have a chat about just life really, life and kind of like yourself, your journey through um, barbering, because I know that you're third generation, which you will touch on in a minute, and really just your whole journey from what it's like having barbershops and obviously how we're getting on in this situation of COVID. So do you want to just give a little insight introduction on yourself and your journey into barbering? Yeah, so um, I've pretty much been barbering for way over 20 years now. you know, I got into barbering with um, my family because my great uncle uh, was a barber. My uncle was a barber who was the uh, guy who actually taught me how to do barbering. Um, yeah, so like I literally started off barbering. Um, you know, I was in the barber shops from about the age of 12 years old. You know, just obviously like everyone else, sweeping up, mm. um, you know, just helping shampooing and, and, you know, just working for tips and stuff like that. Um, so the journey was, you know, it, well, it wasn't actually my plan to become a barber. You know, many people go to me, what did you, what did you want to be when you was um, young? And honestly, I actually wanted to be a racing driver. That was just... Oh, really? Into the cars? Yeah, just into cars. I'm still into cars now. So I was yeah. just like, you know, barbering was on the plan um, until careers officer came round at school and went like, you know, it's time to pick your college or, you know, say where you... you you know where you want to go next and mm. I was like no nah, I'm gonna be a barber and um, it's quite funny because I never forget the conversation with um, the careers officer who was also my English teacher because um, he actually advised me not to work for my uncle and you know your, your uncle wasn't always gonna be there for you and you know like um, not put me off but basically tried to convince me to go in further education and 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 you know, study something else. Mm. And it was really funny because years later, he happened to be driving past my uncle's shop, which was relocated in, um, in, in a different area from, we originally was in White Hart Lane, Tottenham, um, to then going into Walthamstow. And he actually stopped in for a haircut. And it was years on. I mean, you know, like I was about 20, 22 at the time. And this teacher actually came in and he was like, so you made it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was, it was, it was quite, you know, it, it, I didn't really want to go into barbering. I just fell into barbering, to be mm-hmm. honest. And um, I found out I was good with my hands and, yeah. you know, just that's how I got into the barbering. Nice. So then obviously working for your uncle, mm-hmm. um, how, how was it back then? Because like you said, you've been barbering now for over 20 years. So, yeah. you know, it'd be quite interesting to kind of 
know what the process was back then compared to what it's like now. Okay, so are we, like if, if we went on the lines of like, let's call them apprentices, which we were called juniors, mm. I mean, it was much more disciplined, it was much more strict. Um, you know, there, there, there was even the discipline factor of the way you dressed and the way you looked. And, you know, pretty much like you weren't really allowed to speak like a lot of, you know, uh, young apprentices nowadays just think, they can jump in on your conversation with your, your client. I mean, that was a no-go area. I mean, if the, the barber and the client was talking about something, you wasn't, you wasn't allowed in on, on the conversation. Mm. Um, so it was very disciplined, it was very strict. Um, and the thing that I try to implement when I'm actually teaching some of my juniors or my apprentices um, in the barbershop is, I try and implement some of the stuff that I was taught when I was you know, trying to learn barbering. And that would be, I would have to shadow either my uncle or some of the other barbers whilst they were cutting hair. Mm -hmm. And it would be funny when I'm shadowing my uncle because he would be like, um, you know, you've got to shadow everything I do, but you've got to pass me my comb. You've got to pass me my clipper attachment or my razor. And, um, you, you know, you had to pass him his tools. And if he happened to be... <laughs> This is crazy. If he happened to be in a bad mood because next door, two, three doors away was a bookies and he lost money on the horses or the dogs, they'd literally bet on anything. Mm. Um, he would play tricks with us. So like where you knew he would be taking, you know, from his number one, he might be taking his number two. He would, you know, he, he would change what he's doing mm. just to, you know, show that he wasn't concentrating. Or if you happen to look outside because we was on a main road, and lose concentration, you know, you'd get a flick with a comb or something like that. So yeah, yeah. it was- It was always it was, on top of you. And yeah. Make sure you're doing what you need to yeah. do. And very observant in the mirrors in, if you was actually watching and concentrating and stuff like that, yeah. which I don't really think a lot of apprentices have nowadays and don't even appreciate that, you know, they're allowed to shadow you the way they do shadow you nowadays. So then from that, so how long was you working with your uncle to then thinking, okay, I want to get my own shop? Because like you said, you know, you're the founder of Envy Barbers London, which you have your shop in Covent mm -hmm. Garden, you have one in Chingford. And I believe before then as well, you said had some other shops. So kind of yeah, like, tell so us about that journey from yeah. the transition from working for someone to then yeah, you know, because obviously before having your own shops, you was working elsewhere, I imagine, right? Yeah. So, um, so my career started obviously working for my actual uncle, which is obviously my mum's brother. Um, and then from, from there, um, you know, I worked for him for many years, I was very loyal, um, wasn't, wasn't on great money, you know. Um, as I said earlier, I, I was always into cars, so I sort of made m more of my money by buying and selling cars. Um, and them days you could park cars on, on main roads. So I would put a sign up saying car for sale, whatever. So, and then eventually my car fetish got stronger and the cars got better and, you know, but then, um, you know, I sort of, I think it was the point where, um, you know, I was with my uncle for about six, seven years and I had to go to my nan, which was my, obviously my uncle's mum and literally just say like, Nan, your, your son's, you know, like, he's not paying me well. Mm. And, you know, I'm, I'm a top barber, I earn him this much money a day. And, you know, like, I'm still, I'm still earning peanuts. I'm, I'm selling cars to, mm. to, to, to complete my lifestyle. And um, 
it, it was quite funny because I, I thought I, um, I thought I became a man, you know, I don't want to say routines, but I thought I became a man and I grew a pair and um, I'll never forget, I, was, um, I wasn't going to work the next day and I, and, and I just kept, I kept in my bedroom, I just, I just laid on my bed and um, my mum came up and she said, your uncle's downstairs, he's waiting for you and I was like, I'm not working, I'm not working for him no more yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah and um, literally I, I just hear my uncle knocking on the door because uh, he used to pick us up to take us to work. And um, I, don't, I don't know if you asked my mum, where is he or whatever. And then all I could hear is his footsteps coming up <laughs> and it's just knocking on the door and going like, what are you doing? And I was like, uh, I just woke up late. And he was like, you got five minutes, get in the car. <laughs> and um, that was the, the end of me thinking I was a man and I grew a pair, so I went straight back to work, you know? So yeah, yeah I mean, that's, um, that's pretty much when I started realizing like, hey, look, I'm a good barber, I can do better than this. And um, I was quite lucky because my uncle's shop was always around influential people, you know, all types of people, but people that had money, businesses, entrepreneurs. So my dream wasn't always like as simple as, you know, I just want to get paid and go home. I used to eardrop on conversations and, you know, be inspired by all different characters that came in with different types of money. And I don't want to say what types of money, but you know, we used to get the likes of like Rod Stewart and Alan Sugar turning up, but we would also have certain gangsters from certain different areas turning up. Um, so, you know, I was always like inspired by making money um, as well as the passion for the job. And I was always good at the job because my uncle was very military. Mm. So everything had to be perfect to the point that I mean, you would know when you come to my salons that my sections have to be clean and tidy. Everything has to be put back a certain way. My tools have to be... Specific, in a specific way, in a specific yeah. order, yeah. Yeah, and that is my OCD that I adapted and inherited from my uncle um, over the years. And it's quite funny because it was me and his son that worked together mainly, and his son was completely opposite to me. He was messy, he was dirty, and I would actually tidy his section as well. Mm. But you know, like moving back to why um, I started my own business. So as I said, we was always around good people and I, I managed to meet a guy that his name was Lee Rooney. And um, Rooney wasn't actually his real name. Um, it was Zambini, like the actual mafia Zambinis from, from Italy. Mm. And he managed to acquire um, a, a shaving brush company uh, from R.A. Rooney's, which is the oldest shaving brush company in the world right and um you know like he used to come in the shop and it, it was just like um you know you're really good like you're good at shaving and you're, you're good at doing your job and all that um you know and i speak to him and he and he started saying to me look i could get you into truth in hills which is the oldest barber shop in the world it's like i don't know 204 five years old now holds a royal warrant royal family come in there and all that stuff so he used to make their shaving brushes. So he used to make for Truth in Hill, Trumpers, um, Taylors of Bond Street, Fulton and Masons, uh, Castle Forbes, all the big, big brands. He used to hand make shaving brushes for them. And um, he said, look, I'll get you a job with these guys if you want. And it was really funny because I went for an interview and you got to remember, I'm a young guy that's worked for his family all his life. 
I'm used to earning no money, mm. making my money from selling cars. And um, literally this guy's, this guy's took me to the interview because he obviously knew the boss very well, um, Alan Broughton. And um, he happened to be in town because he actually used to live in South Africa, um, even though he owned Truthy and Hill. And um, it's really funny because I sat there and this guy looked at me and I, we, look, we was always smartly dressed. So we was used to go into places um, and being smartly dressed because that's the way it was back then. You, you know, you was a barber, but you wore a shirt, you wore a tie, you looked smart, you looked mm. the business. You know, we wore waistcoats and stuff like that. People used to, you know, take the mick and say, well, you're a waiter. And I'd be like, no, I'm a barber. Mm. Um, and then Truth In Hill, it was in St. James Street, which it still is now in, in Mayfair. And I went downstairs into the basement to, to meet this guy in his big office. And he sort of asked me a few questions, very basic. He said, look, Lee, Lee um, vouches for you. He says, you're the best he's ever seen. How would you feel like having a job here with us? And, um, you know, being young and a bit naive, and I was like, would you pay? <laughs> which is straight away yeah, asking for the money which is pretty much what a lot of young barbers will ask you nowadays um, nothing's changed there but it was like so what do you, what do you pay and, and he just looked at me and he goes well what do you get paid and um, I was like 150 and he was like done we'll do that right and it, the, the funniest thing was um, so you've got to remember this is the elite barber shop that, which back then was cutting hair for like over 30 pounds and stuff like that so obviously, I'm giving him the figure of my, my weekly salary or my fortnightly salary. I forgot where it was back then. And this guy's actually giving me this salary per day back then, mm. right? So obviously the first month of my paycheck, you know, I've, you know, I've got the check because it was in the olden days, they used to give you a check in an envelope and I took it home and I've opened this check and I'm like, oh my God. Uh, this guy's giving me six hundred pounds for the month, mm. and I'm like, I'm sorry, not for the month, for the for the week. And um, obviously, it was on a monthly basis, and I was just shocked because I was like, wow, like, so I was rolling around like I was a millionaire. Mm. But like by then, like you know, the high performance cars got higher, and yeah. the going out and the spending and the shopping, and you know, like I started to live a lifestyle in in central London. Um, so that was the journey of how I left my uncles going into um, working with a prestige company. And after doing that for about um, three years or so, I actually like started to get itchy feet and just think like, I can do this, like I'm really good. So, um, so at that point I was like, you know, like I, look, without, you know, I know there's a lot of good people like yourself out there and, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, good barbers, good educators, you know, good men's haircutters. Um, you know, I, I just thought to myself, like, I'm good at what I do. So, um, you know, like, I, I really want to, I, I really want to step the game up. I want to do my own thing. And um, because by this time I was an outgoing person, you know, like, I, I just had my wings spread where they were broken for many years. You know, and I was living a lifestyle because the type of people we were working with in Mayfair back then, you know, like we were, we were working with money people and, um, you know, like we was getting invited to, you know, like top nightclubs, like the tramp, we would cut the managers and directors here and they would give us tables and, 
you know, like we was working with people that owned yacht companies that built yachts and stuff like that. So, mm. you know, if you imagine the type of people that I was going out with, so to be honest, the type of money that I was earning wasn't making a difference to my life. And this is why I pass this on when I'm teaching young hairdressers, young barbers. I'm like, look, it doesn't matter how much money you earn, mm. you'll always find a way to spend that money in, in, in a different type of way, you know? Yeah. So, so as in like the more money you earn, the more money you're going to spend basically, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. Yeah. So I always say it's like now for me, like hundred pound now is like what 10 pound used to be for me like 10, 10 years ago. Do you know what I mean? The value of it, exactly, you know? Exactly, exactly. Just kind of like, just because you're like getting more money, you end up spending more money, didn't you? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I would do stuff like, I would do crazy stuff like, you know, as I still do now, I would drive my car to the West End and like literally pay for some, you know, like parking space, like which back then, you know, people would say to how, how much did you pay for parking in mm. central London? I was like a fiver and they were like, what, five pounds? Mm. Like, you know, like I would do stuff like that, which was a lot of money back then, but people would be like, why are you driving to the West End? Like, why don't you take a train and stuff like that? So, you know, I was living the lifestyle and, and you know what, to be honest, like I, I did live a good lifestyle working for these companies. And um, the good thing with Truth In Hill is, they started introducing me to big companies where they had concessions, like in um, Selfridges, in Fulton and Masons, in Phoenix of Bond Street, and all these big department stores. And um, I had a really good friend, Graham Barber, which wasn't a barber, so I was really pissed with his surname. <laughs> um, this guy was a marketing a marketing guy, and he he literally used to run Truth and Hill Marketing and me and him used to go out and I would have to perform live shaves on Selfridges shop floor on a Saturday afternoon. And I'm talking about thousands of people going past you, pushing you and thing, you know, like, and I would have to shave. And this is where I got good at doing, you know, like, um, I'd, I'd reckon good at education and, you know, speaking and stuff like that because of, just purely because of the fact that I was working in a busy environment and I threw that fear, out of me of you know people watching me and people talking to me or I'm talking to them it, it just sort of helps you open up a bit so yeah the lifestyle working at Truth and Hill was probably I would say that helped me find myself who I am in barbering in the sense that you know like other people that I worked with along the way which I stayed good friends with at Barbers literally they just stayed in their shell stayed in their barbershops parked themselves up yeah. And it, it, it's not for everyone, you know, like yourself, like, you know, you're an international artist, you know, you travel globally, you know, you're great at what you do, but that's not for everyone. Mm. You know, I've seen really, really good barbers that me and you even see um, when we went on our last American trip. Um, Seems our, like a bloody lifetime. Yes, it actually does. With our dear friend Sam Wall, um, God rest his soul. Um, and you know, like, you know, I was looking at people on stage and I'm like, yeah, you're good at barbering. I can see what you're doing. You're brilliant at barbering. I'm not going to disrespect anyone or anything, but you know, being on stage or talking to people or, or, you know, presenting something is not always everyone's cup of tea. Yeah. It's like, you have to want to be, you know, an educator or you want, you, you need to be able to speak to people or, or relate to people and understand people. Mm. So obviously diverting from what you've yeah, asked yeah. me. So then obviously, so that <laughs> was from getting your experience, I guess, from doing these shows in Selfridges and yeah. being 
you know, having the opportunity to interact with different people, that's kind yeah. of like where your stage presence probably came up. Yeah. And confidence. My I confidence, mean, yeah. yeah, I would say. And um, kind of like being thrown in the deep end. Yeah. It's like you literally, you're either going to sink or swim, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And it was really the deep end because, I mean, look, we're going back years here, but if you actually, you know, you, you're going back to the 90s here. And if you actually go back to the 90s, when you're walking into Selfridges or Fulton and Mason's, mm. you know, the queen shops there, like, you're not just walking through the store and walking to your, your, your section to start. You're going through 100 hoops before you get to that point. I mean, you're like, yes, sir, no, sir, three bags, wolf, sir. Like, yeah. it is literally, it was a different kettle of fish. And you got to remember, like, I'm this, like, guy from East London yeah. that, you know, not quite hood, but, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> might as well be yeah. compared to them. So, you know, and it was a really funny time in Truth and Hill as well. Like, i never forget, like, um, Prince Albert, which is the Queen's cousin, came in. And it was my first time doing a royal. And, and I took off his jacket the wrong way. And I didn't even know there was a right way, a right way, a wrong way of taking someone's coat off. And, you know, like, it was... Um, you know, there was, there was rules like that. You had to wait for your client. So, so was that rules from the barbershop you were yeah. working Yeah, okay. Yeah, the rules from the barbershop. That was every client was wow. treated exactly the same way, regardless of royalty or aristocrats or whoever they were. Mm -hmm. Everyone was treated the same way. And um, I got a disciplinary for that because I didn't take off their right jacket way. the right way. Wow. So, um, so then obviously <laughs> with your experience from your uncle's shop to then go into something that was completely on the yeah. other end of the spectrum, I imagine. Yeah. I guess, what happened? I mean, how long did you last there? Did you, was you starting to teach there? Because I believe, you know, as you're yeah. saying, you, you do education as well, so. So, yeah, I mean, my teaching didn't really start there as proper teaching. So, so what sort of happened there was, um, because I was good at what I was doing, I mean, you've got to remember in, in the late 80s, shaving went out of fashion because of um, AIDS. So a lot of barbershops mm. stopped shaving. Um, so when I went to Truth In Hill, it was a sort of a 50-50 spin and it was left up to the barber whether you wanted to shave or not. And, um, you know, there was a guy there called Jimmy, which, you know, like he was in his 70 odds when I was there. He was, this is a very interesting point actually, he was actually there for 55 years. Wow. Right? So that's the type of time span people used to spend in barbershops. Not like, you know, the lifespan of a barber in your shop now is 24 months yeah, at the max. Yeah, a couple of years, isn't it? Yeah, at the max, at the max. So, you know, like, and then he was shaving. So I was like, yeah, I can shave. So I started shaving as well. And then they got me into teaching because um, Truth in Hell had a, a couple of stores in America, in Las Vegas, and also in Toronto. So they started introducing me to shaving and then they had one that was open in Hong Kong and then they started introducing, you know, sending their staff to me to teach them how to shave. I wasn't actually teaching, teaching. They just wanted to learn how to shave. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then from there, you know, it sort of, it got to a point where I wanted to bring something different and I started, you know, not going on hairdressing courses but getting more interested in how to do, you know, longer hair, hairdressing, um, coloring and stuff like that. So, you know, like um, my auntie was a hairdresser as well. So I spent some time with her just learning how to do a few bits. Mm. And I had, I had friends in the industry and, you know, just, just one of them guys that wanted to learn everything. And then I decided to look for my own shop 
in 2000, or just before 2000, tell it like, and... Um, barbershop or...? Yeah, barbershop, but um, more with a real twist. Okay. Um, I mean, you know, like we're talking about 2000 here, which is 21 years ago, so... Mm. Um, but I already had the name, um, and MV... Actually, there's a lot to envy than just the name. Yeah, you, know, you know, one, one story <laughs> I want to touch on, like mm. a little bit personal about, I, I know you'll be open to talk about it just because yeah. I think as well, it's like when someone sees that you have a brand or you have a barbershop, automatically they think that you're very successful, which of course you are very successful. Yeah. You know, you have your own brands, Envy Barbers London, you have your own barber shops, you have your product line and you know, you are very successful. but. On the road to success, and you've told me this story before, you know, I know you've had some real ups and downs. And, yeah. you know, even I remember one of the um, <laughs> stories um, you told me was how you actually had to take all your stuff and actually live in your car for a little while. Yeah, and, a couple um, of days, yeah, two, three days. Yeah, yeah so it's like I kind of want you to mm. touch on that because it's kind of, you know, I think, I think for like some people, when a situation like that happens, that everything comes crumbling down. Um, they could straight away just be like, do you know what, fuck this, I'm just going to give up. Yeah. But then obviously for you, you know, you kind yeah. of, whether you use that as fuel, you kind of spun it around and then was mm. like, actually, you know, I want to, you know, so just Mate, tell so. us a little bit about that story because, you know, yeah. for me personally, you know, it's, it's a very inspiring story <laughs> because yeah. it's one of those ones that it's, you know, it's, it sounds like a movie, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, at this stage, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, um, I basically, um, I got married, I obviously had my son and, uh, you know, my son was two years old and, um, you know, everything, everything came tumbling down and, um, you know, disagreements came with my ex-wife and we decided to split and divorce and, yeah, literally just walked out of the house with, with, with nothing and, you know, like, from the sheer, like, brokenness and, and being embarrassed, I sort of, you know, I slept in my car for a couple of days, you know, until I sort of thought, like, where do I go? How do I get, you know, like... Where do you go from there? What, where do I go from there, you yeah. know? And, um, yeah, I mean, it was a rough time. Like, I had a really, like, um, I had a downturn. So you've got to imagine from a guy that back in the day, like, you know, was earning, you know, money that celebrities were earning mm. to go in to earning nothing was, like... You know, it was, it was, it was, you know, it breaks you, do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And, and to come back from that, and you know what, I'm not going to lie, I know this is going to sound cheesy now, right? Um, all I could really think of was the Rocky movie with the eye of the tiger, do you get what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, like that last one more round, you know, like, and um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I come out of it and, um, you know, I got myself back up. And, you know, I started saving some money and, you know, I would always give my money to my mum and say, like, I'm saving for a shop, this is what I'm doing. Yeah, so, you know, I would go back to my mum's and just check that, um, you know, have, have I got enough money to open this um, barbershop now? And she would be like, not yet, son, you still need a little bit more. And, you know, I had, I had a, a rough idea of how much I needed, mm. you know, how much rents were and deposits. I'd done all my inquiries and stuff. So, you know, I, I sort of, I bounced back quite well from, you know, being, you know, quite a broken man in, in the sense that, you know, like, I, I literally felt like I'd start from scratch. And as I was saying earlier on with a bit of the cheesy Rocky song, it was, 
you know, like the Eye of the Tiger song actually, mm. you know, helped me sort of get out of it. And I, I, I'm not going to lie, I, even now when I feel a little bit down, I do, I do, I do sort of go back to the, the Rocky one, two, three, yeah. maybe up to about the five where Ivan was in, <laughs> you know, not quite to the latest creeds, yeah. but, you know. And, like and it, creeds your son, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, and, and it does sort of um, inspire me, if you like, or it does sort of like, just give me that boost that I need to think like, you know, just that one more round, you yeah, know, yeah. like let, let me let me get in there one more yeah, time. It ain't know? over till it's over. Yeah, exactly that. And, um, you know, and eventually, you know, like we got to the, the figure we wanted um, and, you know, um, I was ready to find a location and whatever. Um, but the, the, the hardest thing was finding the location. And as I said, we was lucky because there wasn't barbershops everywhere. Like you're talking about 2000 here or just, just before like 999. Um, and there wasn't barbershops everywhere. You know, you know, barbershops are popping up everywhere, you know, like, like no tomorrow, you know, whether they can cut hair or not. That's mm. a different debate, a different subject for a different um, episode or a different series that we might be doing. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, it, it, yeah, it was hard to find a location, and um, I mean, I'll, so what what year are you talking now? Sorry. So I'm sort of end of '99, looking for this location to to open to to literally open a store, and um, yeah, so I, I'm I'm really like I'm driving around. Obviously, you know where I was driving from, you know, living in 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 um, Chingford originally, and and driving all the way to central London. I always had my eyes open anyway you know, looking at locations where stations were, and, and I really never found nothing that caught my eye. And um, I used to sort of drink out locally um, in Chingford, even though I've never been a big drinker, as you know. Yeah. You know, two Budweiser's or three JD's and that's me. So um, I was drinking in our local in Chingford Mount, and you know, I was with all the boys and you know, I still used to cut a lot of uh, the guys' hair locally and stuff like that. And, you know, I was always in with the crowd and always in with the, the boys and, you know, we was all in the same sort of wavelength. And, um, yeah, one of them just, it was like, why don't you just open in Chingford? Then we don't have to travel. And I was like, why would I open in my own hometown? It was like, well, you know everyone here, so why wouldn't you? And I was like, yeah, why not? And, um, yeah, that's when I found my location in Chingford and, you know, we we done the deal, uh, gave the deposits and literally like, you know, like um, we, the shop was a mess. I mean, it was an old greengrocer's that had been closed down for years. Um, like the shop was derelict. I'm talking about... Are we talking, this is the shop that's in now? Still there okay. in Chingford since 2000. Yeah. You know. The shop's crest and logo was actually made and hand-drawn, actually, by my very good dear cousin, um, Huss, which we used to call him Snoop Dogg, not because he was a rapper, but he used to have long curly hair, which he used to middle part, and then, you know, have these two pigtails. Yeah, and he used to look like Snoop Dogg, the actual dog, not. And um, he was a graphic designer back then, so he... um, he actually drew what I wanted him to draw, and that's that's the crest that we have now. You know, you're familiar with it, but others ain't. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and then 
obviously later on I added a few more things to the crest to strengthen it and you know rebranded our logo yeah. but you know like the most important thing with us finding the location is the actual name Envy and um, and the store come at different times so I always knew that my brand would be called Envy and you know Envy had a lot of um you know, if you read into the word envy, it just doesn't mean envious. There's, there's a lot to envy than just someone being envious of you. And it, it purely wasn't the fact that I wanted people to be envious of me, but it's more, more the fact to just say that I'm here, I've made it, and I've built this brand without you. Mm. And, you know, you can't keep me down. And I've, I've literally started from the bottom, yeah, yeah. like my man Kevin says. <laughs> <laughs> and I've worked myself to the top and it, it was all done with hard graft and yeah. hard work. Because you don't have any investors within the shop. This is all no. like 100% yours, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's always never been investors, um, always 100% mine, but always grateful and gratitude goes out to my mum, my family, like my uncle who, who I always say gave me the golden wristband mm. of barbering. I can never thank him enough for that. And also um, my other uncle who was a builder, um, who both my uncles now are retired in, in, in Cyprus, they've all gone back. Um, and bless my uncle, he always helped me with building, you know, never charged me and, and put in all the hard graft. And even when we was doing Covent Garden up, he flew all the way back as an old retired man and still done, you know, he, he's, he done my shop for me yeah. in Covent Garden as well. Um, so we found the location in Chingford. As I said, it was derelict. It, it, it threw me off. A young guy, you know, got all this money to get out of shop and mm. walks in and walks straight through the floorboard. So like, from being at the bottom to them walking into a shop that's just transformation. Derelict. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, like literally derelict. Like walking in there and thinking, oh my God, what have I just got myself into? Mm. You know, like wooden shutters that needed rip, ripping out, no shop front because it was an old greengrocer's, mm. um, to then stripping back the wooden cladding around the, the building. So if you can imagine the old fashioned greengrocer's that would sell fruit and veg outside as well as inside, you know, like really, really derelict. To them finding that the Irish Jay had been taken out and the, and the building was about to collapse. Um, yeah, so we, we way overspent budget and thanks to my family, they all chipped in and, and you know, like helped me get my shop ready. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, like, like that was the start of MV Barbers and you know, what it meant to me. And, you know, even my crest, my crest has a lot of meaning to it with, if you study into my vest and red, red, red crest and look into the detailing, you know, like- um, all the sentimental meaning yeah, behind it all, yeah. I mean, the initials in there, N and a V, obviously stands for MV. Then mm. you've got a big S through it, which is my name, Sheriff. Then you've got an A at the top with a star, which is eight, is my son's name, which is Ahmet, which mm. as you know, met and, you know, he's a fourth generation barber. He's my eyes and ears and he's my right hand man. Yeah. And, you know, I'm blessed to have such a good son helping and working with me. And um, yeah, and then the two stallions on the side were literally drawn from 
you know, the Ferrari emblem of the stallions. Mm. So like meaning strength and everything. So, you know, my crest has meaning to me personally. That's why I'm more sentimental about my crest and the MV name rather than putting Sheriff as my name. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, the shop was created in 2000. Um, and then yeah. from there, so obviously you've got, um, you've got Covent Garden. Yeah. So with Covent Garden, um, you know, as I do know you, I know there was other shops before Covent Garden. Yeah. Um, so kind of like tell us like, you know, from 2000 where the MV Barber brand was kind of born mm. to what's happened from 2000 till, let's just say to present, because then that yeah. will actually lead to what's going on with this whole yeah. situation of COVID, you know? Because, okay. you know, it, it's, yeah, yeah. it'll be interesting to, you know, hear kind of like from your, your point of view as a barbershop owner, mm -hmm. you know, having done education as well to really how COVID's kind of like, you know, one affected you and kind of how you've actually, you know, diverted and trying to work with the situation, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, going back a little bit to um, Envy Barber's Chingford, obviously the first store. Um, so I, you've got to remember, I've, I've worked with what, I consider one of the greatest barbers I've ever lived and seen. Um, you know, even when my uncle was retiring at like, you know, 62, 63, he was still banging out haircuts and fades better than most people that can, can cut hair and fade now, you know. Like, at the end of the day, I have to, you know, praise and, and I'm honored to be taught by such a great, great barber. Um, Back then, you know, in barbering, when my uncles started barbering, you was not allowed to have um, your own name because obviously coming from a Cypriot background as well. So my uncle Dave, <laughs> Dave the Barber, his name wasn't actually Dave, it was Seda. And, and everyone was known, it, he was known as Dave. And, um, you know, my other uncle that used to work with him, his name was Hassan, but you weren't allowed to have Hassan in the shop. So he was called Michael. <laughs> You know, and, and um, you know, and, and the other one was uh, called Jesse, you know, they called him Jesse James, but his name was Irfan. You mm. know, like you wasn't allowed to have, like I probably wouldn't have been allowed in their era in the 60s, uh, the 50s, like I wouldn't probably be allowed to have Sheriff, yeah. you know, um, so it was crazy. So, but I was honored to be taught by, by my, my uncle, um, which was, you know, a fantastic, fantastic barber. Um, so, you know, being taught by him and then moving from him with all respects to him, I loved him to bits and he taught me everything I know, but it was with his talent that I grew my talent. But then I think going and working in central London and working for such a high-end premium, you know, premiership type of barbershop, mm. where literally like, you know, prices back then were some of the prices that people are not even charging now. It just, it threw me to a completely different, you know, ecstasy of barbering. You know, I loved my job so much. I was passionate about it. And people used to say like, you know, how can your number one all over be better than any other barbers? Mm. And you know, I, I, I always use the motto of, you know, some of us make love and some of us just, you know, <laughs> don't. Yeah. It's simple. But um, yeah, so basically, um, MV Barbers was created on something different and it was created on 
not gonna lie, inspiration of men's hair cutting and hairdressing, because I was passionate about cutting hair. And I was inspired about, you know, the likes of Tony and Guy and Vidal Sassoon and the creativity and all that. Do I know how to hairdress? Do hairdressing? Eh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say I, I'm, I'm great at it, mm. but you know, I use their inspiration. I use their, you know, their ways, their talent. So I sort of, you know, adapted the hairdressing life and bring it to barbering. But you're talking about 2000 here, 21 years ago. Some of you guys weren't even born 21 years ago, mm. yeah? Um, so like, I, I sort of bring the West End to Chingford, as in style, looks, um, you know, like we was doing what they did in West End. We were serving cappuccinos. Mm. We were serving brandies and whiskeys and beers. I mean, 20, 21 years ago, you're serving things like that in a Chingford salon. Um, but then the, 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 the times that we used to get for cutting, like back in the day, it was four haircuts an hour. That was your time period. If you couldn't do four haircuts an hour, you was out the door. You know, you'd be lucky to get away with three haircuts an hour, but this is, that's the way barbering was. Yeah. So you gave out a good service, but you gave out a quick service. You worked on speed. So um, I bring West End to Chingford and I bring what I translated, wasn't men's hairdressing, wasn't my, my barbering, it was what I called back then men's grooming. Mm. And it really was men's grooming because I stuck a hairdressing twist into barbering and I really made a different service. And, you know, back then I was charging big money because you've got to remember, I've just come from Mayfair earning big money. I wasn't about to walk into Chingford and, you know, cut, people were cutting hair back then for five pounds. You know, I was cutting hair back then in 2000 for like 12, 50, 15 pounds, 20 pounds back then, you know? So, a bit of Turkish tea. <laughs> so back then, you know, that, that was big money and people used to come in and, and be like, you know, there was no appointments, it was still walk-ins and it would be like, well, how much is a haircut? When you used to tell people, it was like, you know, are you joking? Like, you're not in a West End and I was like, no, but I bring West End to you. Yeah, yeah. And I used to be so confident that I'd be, look, take a seat in my chair, have a haircut with me, or whatever you want to have done, and if you don't like it, I will give you £10 and you can walk out. And, you know, that's how cheeky and confident I was. So, you know, Chingford was created, um, and, you know, um, it went well, it was busy, but, you know, like my character is now, as you know me, I can't sit still. I've yeah. got to keep moving. I, I, you know, I'm always thriving on excitement or, you know, always, you know, thriving on the next move or how to go up or, you know, you've, you've come back down again. Like, how do we get back on our feet? So, um, yeah, I mean, I was the only barbershop back then in, you know, in 2000 that was selling men's products. I was a TG agent back then, which TG would only give to hair salons. Yeah. And, you know, they were giving to me and they were like, you know, you're the only salon. I used to sell Paul Mitchell products. So, you know, I was selling all high end, you know, West End style products in my salon, you know, and, you know, someone would come in and buy a product that was worth the same amount as a haircut, yeah, yeah. which was unheard of, you know. Um, 
but the shop was cool you know i had you know good staff and good receptionists and run it you know professionally and then um it was really weird um <laughs> i gotta tell you this story i was cutting hair one day and i'm not saying i'm dodgy but i'm a barber and we all know what barbers used to do pre-covid so guys <laughs> stop that and get with the program yeah um, I was cutting hair and this very, very smart woman called Jasmine Scaife came in and um, she was in a suit and everything and she had like a semi-briefcase looking bag. It weren't a lady's handbag, it looked like a briefcase. And obviously this was a typical men's salon. So, you know, it weren't the times that women did walk into barbershops to get haircuts. And I'm sort of looking at her through the mirrors and like, who's this woman in a grey pinstripe suit, yeah. you know? And we all know who wears pinstripe suits, right? So I'm looking at this woman and um, she's looking at me and um, one of the guys finished and he said, can I help you, madam, are you getting a haircut? And she said, no, 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 I'm waiting for him, you know, pointing at me. And I'm like, now I'm like really getting red. I'm thinking, okay. This might have come on top now because the tax man's in my shop. Yeah, tax <laughs> right? lady. Yeah, the tax lady's in my shop. Not though I'm dodgy or done anything wrong. And um, so I finished and, you know, um, I took the lady into the staff room and, you know, I, I said, how can I help you? And she's like, I've, I've come here on behalf of the Joshua Calvin Academy and um, basically I'm headhunting you. Um, and I'm like, okay, so what's that? You know, I don't even understand, what, what is that? So she said, we're basically a hairdressing academy. We're based in Bethnal Green back then. And um, we would like you to come in and, you know, have an interview about doing some barbering and barbering education for us. So I was like, yeah, but I'm just a barber. I just mm. cut hair. She said, would you please, you know, accept our invitation to come and have an interview with us? Yeah. I said, like, yeah, cool. So, you know, I don't know when it was, but I, I went there and, you know, sat down and had this interview and um, it, was, it, it, was, it was quite interesting really because, um, you know, I, I knew nothing about education, you know, like Plaz Aid, but obviously I knew who Joshua Galvin was because I knew who Vidal Sassoon was. And back then I, I used to get the hairdressing journal even mm. back then. And um, there was no barber magazine, guys. It was just hairdressing. <laughs> and um, yeah, so literally, I knew who the who the guy you know who the guy was and what who the company was. I went there, did my interview. They literally said, "We want you to do barbering education. We'll teach you to become an educator. You can teach us how to do barbering." And that's how my um, my education career started. Started start as a, a professional educator was actually teaching barbering um, education. Was that for hairdressers or for barbers or? That was literally for anyone. Like, okay. There was no hairdressing standards, by the way, by that yeah. time still. So, so at this point was you, you're working in your barbershop in Chingford mm -hmm. and someone come over, headhunted you in order yep. to deliver education for them? Yep, okay. barbering education. Um, and yeah, she basically said that we heard that you're good at what you do. Um, it turned out that... So I guess this is probably where the real education of barbering 
started, started. yeah. So we were, you know, I, I was amongst, you know, one of the first to help Barber in pushing the right direction as far as MVQ education goes. You know, um, it was mainly sitting guilds and VCTC back then. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, sorry, not VC, yeah, VCTC and uh, sitting guilds. Um, so yeah, it was it was Barber and education um, for for them. Um, and then going back to my shop, um, you know, like it was great, but as I said, it I get itchy feet, so I'm like, I need to do something. So I started doing education once a week for them, then it went to twice a week. And then they started, um, because obviously with Joshua Galvin's connections um, in the hairdressing industry, I started um, getting requests for all salons that were working with them. So obviously you had the likes of Charles Worthington and obviously some spin-offs of Vidal Sassoon salons, which Mm. I don't want to mention their names. Um, and, and you know, like I, you know, I've done a lot of education for a lot of big brand companies, um, you know, and then I started just doing day courses here and there for these big companies, just for their salons and their staffs, like CPD training. Then we started doing like little events and little shows at um, the Excel because there's all like Salon International or not, different ones. Not yet. It was more like you know they do the careers day ones as well there. So I started doing the careers ones and and that's when I really started to do stage and platform you know education and stuff like that. And then in the meantime, as I was getting better, then I started you know I sort of found a little bit of a not hole in a market, but just a way of getting good staff, which would be to take a young person and educate them. And because of my connection now with the college, I could take my own staff on, educate them in the college, mm. and then bring them to my salon, yeah, yeah. which worked perfect because it was a win-win for me because I was like, wow, this is great. And obviously as we had more staff and we was educating more people, this is when we moved to the, the next step. Um, of opening the salon. Um, so the first salon after Chingford wasn't actually um, Covent Garden, it was um, it was um, Romford in Hornchurch. Mm-hmm. So um, we done that, which the guy was my manager and we opened, we opened Hornchurch. And then from there, I decided to open Covent Garden, which, Covent Garden is where, for the first time in my life, I put my guard down and decided to get an investor to come in with me. And um, basically, I thought it, I'm not saying this is wrong if anyone does this, but I thought an investor would be the correct way to grow into the market that I was so inspired by when I was at Truth and Hill. And then working with all these brand names like um, all the companies that I had to work with in central London delivering education, I thought that Covent Garden being such a big brand and the rents like, you know, astronomical yeah. prices, I needed an investor. So I got an investor to come in and everything. And then the last day before we signed the lease and everything, they pulled out on me. Yeah, I remember you telling yeah. me. So that was just like another blow, and I was like, "How can you pull?" So you know, this was 
five years ago or four six, six years ago six now six years ago yeah I, I even remember when you got the shop and yeah. you were showing me and i remember it was still boarded up and you're like yeah. oh, look through here and, yeah. then, and then yeah i remember that story telling me yeah. about that so then from that because you have covent garden now i mean like yeah. did you would you say did you start hearing that rocky song again and you yeah thought, you know oh, what definitely like, yeah. yeah i think we was up to rocky five now with Ivan <laughs> and you know when Rocky does the comeback to where yeah. he goes to Russia and does that raw workout with the wood on his back and yeah, everything, yeah. you know, like, yeah, I think that Rocky song was there this time, I'm not going to yeah. lie. And um, yeah, and I decided, you know what, fuck, I'm, I'm just going to, yeah, yeah, I'm just going to do this on my own. Like, I don't, I don't believe investors. Um, it's not for everyone. And I was like, right, I'm going to go for this on my own. But now I had to deliver a presentation to landlords that are sharks mm. and I'm like you know I don't even know how to do this stuff so I just self-taught myself I had done my presentation I went up there I told them straight up my investors are pulled out this is who I am this is what I do this is how I've come up the ranks and they 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 said yes we'll 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 do it obviously it was a lot more money I had to find but again thank, thankful for my family that always backed me and um you know, again, cashed in on everything like watches, cars, you know, my trainers, mm. <laughs> my Hugo boss suits, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nah. literally like cash in on everything and yeah, just went for it. Um, and that's how Covent Garden was created. And then with, with Covent Garden, we branded the whole branding with the MV products and everything. So yeah. So that's where <clears throat> the MV products kind of started to happen. Yeah. Because you thought, right, okay, got a nice little flagship store now. Yeah. It's in central London. Yeah. And then you've obviously got the downstairs as well, which kind of acts as like your academy yeah. as well. That's right. So, yeah, I mean, the the products, we started doing it on a smaller scale um, um, just slightly before that, because obviously we had the two shops, so we wanted to have our products out there. But then when we went to Covent Garden, because it was a touristic area and there was a lot more you know, happening around there, we, we, we felt like we needed products. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I mean, education, you know, so as I said, I started uh, educating in uh, Joshua Galvin's and they obviously used to have me go out to um, a lot of branded uh, salons. And, you know, then when Covent Garden came along as well, um, we started doing, um, our own education uh, with the barber inside of stuff. So we would do private courses, you know, we do MVQ courses. Um, but along the way, obviously, I was doing education for L'Oreal as well, uh, which has always been a, a very, you know, a, a good platform for me. And, you know, the, the team at L'Oreal has always been, you know, really good and supportive and, you know, like, always helped with new ideas for education um, and then you know Covent Garden helped us you know push the uh, education platform to a different level in the sense of of real barbering yeah but always the most important thing for us with education was actually passing our knowledge on and our passion of what we did as barbers you mm -hmm. know like real life shop experience and you know with the people we used to teach we used to let them you know, come up after the education classes would end and they could spend some time in the salon. Shadow the other barbers. Yeah, just, you know, shadow the other barbers and, you know, just 
see what the real side of barbering was. I mean, the downturn in education for me was <clears throat> obviously every, everyone for their, 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 themselves and, and what they want to do and how they want to do it. But I don't believe in bringing down prices. And, mm. you know, when people start to deliver education like it's a Happy Meal at McDonald's, to me, it's like, you know what, you're, you're leaving no love in education in the sense that, you know, we would have people calling us and trying to, um, you know, ask us if we will reduce our prices because a certain academy was doing it at this price yeah. or a certain academy. And, you know, maybe they can afford to do that because they've got an investor. Maybe, you know, their dad bought the building for them or, or maybe there's a group of them and they don't need to earn as much as, you know, we needed to. Yeah. So the education got harder towards the end of the six years, to be honest. And we were taking less and less people on in our classes because there was too much competition. Mm -hmm. And the competition wasn't real competition. It was more like, you know, it felt like the chicken shop on the corner that was up against um, yeah, yeah. KFC, you know. There's no real competition for you guys, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, so, you know, it, it, it just, it just made me feel like um, the education on that level of what we were doing in barbering, you, you know, like we scaled down on it in a big, in a big way, but still obviously kept our relationship with L'Oreal, which is, you know, you know, one of my favorite um, educations that I, I do because it's just, I love the way they work. You know, I, I love the, the fact that they have people that are passionate that come on their courses. Um, yeah, so, you know, it, it, it's been hard. I mean, coming towards the end before all of this stuff started happening, it was getting tired. A lot more barbershops had opened. Again, I wouldn't, <clears throat> I wouldn't say that I'm ever threatened by other barbershops and what they do or how they do it. You know, everyone does their own style or their, you know, they create their own look or their own vibes or whatever they do, mm -hmm. which is great. I just don't like people that come into the industry and ruin the industry because they have no passion. They think barbering is easy. Yeah. They think it's, it's meant to be just fun and you know there's no customer service there yeah. you know without being disrespectful <coughs> to, to to a lot of the people that i've seen cut hair and i am one of them guys that i'll yeah. go to barbershops i'll go to different barbershops have a haircut i'll have a shave i'll see how they cut hair not because i'm threatened by them because i want to see what's going on i want to see like if there's something that i can introduce to my salon um but to be truthful like you know there's a lot of them that i would say that have no passion. They just do it because they don't even know why they're doing it. Yeah. And that's that's a shame. That's one thing that, you know, it would be nice to take some of them people back 20 years and put them in where we had to come up the ranks and be, you know, an apprentice in a real barbershop. Yeah. So, so like obviously that being said, with your whole journey of, um, you know, your ups and your downs, um, having owned different barbershops, yeah. um, you know, under MV Barbers. Any advice for anyone that's wanting to kind of, you know, go off, pursue, get their own barbershop, you know, perhaps are working in the barbershop now for someone and they want to do their own thing. I mean, any advice or tips that you'd give anyone? Yeah, I mean, look, 
if we're talking about today and current, um, 2021, um, I would say think very carefully about opening a business, not because um, of what you can do as a barber or, or my confidence or your confidence in your own cutting abilities or your business mind or anything. I would just say it's a very dangerous time to make a move with any type of business. Mm -hmm. um, but if I was gonna, you know, say that we're back to normal times <clears throat> and you wanna, you, you know, you wanna open your own barbershop, I'd say, you know, there's key factors here. Education is key. If you have no foundation and you have no education behind your barbering, it's great that you started off in your kitchen um, and cutting your friend's hair and your neighbor's hair and your self-taught barber, that's fine, that's, you know, but obviously a lot of you guys would have went on to educate yourselves in the correct manner like we all do later on in life because that's the right thing to do. So I think you need education behind you all the time. Secondly, I think that to be a businessman, mm -hmm. you have to learn to differentiate between I am the boss, not in a big headed way, not because I wear a boss t-shirt or a boss, you know, pair of trainers, but I am the boss because I am a businessman and it's me that's gonna drive this this um, barbershop forward with my team, you know? And any any business, whether it be a barbershop or not a barbershop, every business needs a team. Mm. You know, a football team is a team, you know? Uh, you know, McDonald's has a team, you know, like any industry that you're looking at has a team of people that will bring a vibe to the place, bring, you know, different values in and different education or different ways of cutting. But the one thing that's really important, which I see a lot of newcomers or, or, or barbershop owners that just open a barbershop, they just think all you need is a mirror, a chair and a pair of clippers whether it is, you know, a Kemi pair or whether it's a wall, obviously brands like Panasonic, you know, people just think that's all you need to, to, to open a barbershop. It's mm. not. You, you need a lot more than that. So you, you need to have, you know, the ability to be a shepherd or a sheep. You either lead the flock or you follow with the flock. Mm. You know, like at the end of the day, you know, not everyone is a boss. Not anyone can be a leader. Not everyone knows how to move a business forward. And if you don't, obviously, even if it's self-educated, if you don't educate yourself and you don't actually, you know, look into how to run a business, it's not like it is in the olden days where, yeah, let's just get a barber chair and start cutting hair. You got tax to pay, you got national insurance to pay, you know, you got VAT to pay. You know, like you've got your rent, your rates, your bills. You've got so many more avenues to what it would have been in the 80s and 90s. Mm. You know, um, it, 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 we're moving into a digital era. And it, even though people say, yeah, but barbers are never going to be affected by that. But we are mm. because we're now all getting paid by card. We are now all online. You know, we now have websites, we now have uh, social media, you know, like we depend on this to run our businesses. So someone coming into the business right now, I would say at least educate yourself to first of all, know how to be a proper barber and a hairdresser. And also like make sure that you know how to run a business. It, Cause it's not just open the door and start cutting. Yeah. So, Obviously, you know, they're, they're very wise words that you've given, you know, and like even for myself, you know, 
having my own business, you know, hearing that, you know, it's, you know I couldn't agree with you anymore. You know, it's, uh, yeah. I think there's a lot to owning a business and doing a startup than the, you know, a lot yeah. of people actually think there is. And, you know, it's one of those ones that's nice and refreshing. And obviously hearing your story to how you started off to what you're doing now. Yeah. So that kind of leads me to my next question because, you know, what are you doing now? You know, here we're in lockdown in the UK, you know, obviously COVID-19, a year on, you know. Um, how's that kind of affected your business, you know, from, let's just say from when we first locked down and closed down in March to then reopening again in July mm. and then having to close back down in November and then reopen again and now we're back on lockdown. So it's kind of that circle where, you know, it's mm. like a never-ending story, isn't yeah. it? So kind of tell us about your experiences, right. your travel, your troubles. Troubles and, and troubles. Yeah. <laughs> troubles and travels. Yeah, no, no travels going yeah. on at the moment. But like, exactly. you know, kind of how you've adapted, let's just say, because obviously you've had to adapt to this whole con- like situation. I'm going to have to do a yoga move for yeah, this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And breathe, yeah. and breathe. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, look. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not easy. Um, um, first of all, the most important thing is mental health for everyone. You know, like I wish everyone all the best in, in these hard um, times for their businesses and their well-being. Um, that's the most important thing. And, and we, we should always remember that, you know, like we should always remember that, you know, there's people out there that don't don't want to talk or don't know how to talk. And, you, you know, like um, me and you have lost a dear friend, you know, you knew Sam a lot longer than me, but Sam Wall, you know, was one of them guys um, that everyone knew he used to talk and chat and, you know, the, the, the life of the party. And, yeah. you know, he couldn't reach out to anyone to tell them really how he actually felt. So that's the, the main thing. Um, look, have, have, have I had hard times with COVID? Yeah, I mean, look, when they announced it in, um, in January, I, I would say was probably when they started rocking the boat um, in 2020. You know, my my son, which is my right hand man in the business, um, and and looks after our main salon that you know brings in a good income for us, was away in Thailand with one of my main barbers from Covent Garden, Michael, and you know they they were in a debate like, do we come back don't we come back are we going to be locked out you know like mm-hmm. there was all this going on and i was like no it's, it's fine guys just enjoy your holiday like we extended their holiday for another three weeks yeah. and you know they were having fun out there and you know and it's only a flu don't worry about it and then obviously bang march came and he announced that he was closing us down you know and obviously as everyone knows they closed us down and it was two weeks and then it was three weeks and then it dragged on and you know, it was like it was never ending and, you know, me and you used to catch up and yeah. I used to call you, you used to call me, check up on us. And, you know, I've got, you know, Jason Hunt from America, one of my dear friends that used to work for Vidal Sassoon as well. He used to regularly check in on me, I used to check in on him. You, you know, like, um, you know, good friends, like we, we just, we, we just looked out for each other. Yeah. Um, so then, you know, them, them, them times were for really, really hard as well. You know, um, Mike Taylor as well from the um, Great British Barbers. Um, he, he always checked in with me, I checked in with him. So, you know, there's, it, it, it's hard because not knowing when you can open, even now with lockdown, is really hard. But the, the one thing I would say is, if you're a businessman, this is what it's about. 
can you walk the walk? Can you talk the talk? Can you actually get through good times and hard? Because mm. let's face it, we're not going to say what, but me and you have had some good times and we've earned yeah. some money. Yeah, right? yeah. Like we, you know, you've traveled the world, I've traveled the world, you know, um, and we've earned good, good money and we've spent good money, you know, we've been in the best places and, and we've, we've been in, you know, the likes of, um, you know, Starbucks and McDonald's. So, you know, it is what it is. But, you know, coming back to, you know, COVID and, and, and coming back to how did we survive or how are we surviving? Yeah, like mentally straining. Um, as a businessman, frustrating. Got staff to pay, you know, got bills to pay. Um, so when they told us we can come back in July, it was great. You know, we went out. Um, we didn't quite spend as much as other salon owners or barbers, you know. Mm. We didn't have a budget of 20000 to spend. But... <laughs> But, you well, you know, didn't spend £20,000 no. to, to make your barbershop COVID safe? No, no, sure? we, we, we didn't spend that much. Does it, does um, it cost you 20 grand to like... No, we, of, we found a place, um, I don't know if I can say 20 this... 20 grand on masks you spent, was it? <laughs> I don't know if I can say this on, you know, live TV at you the can. moment. Um, you you know, can say whatever it, the hell yeah. you want to say. <laughs> but um, yeah, we found a place called eBay, so we managed to find things at a very reasonable <laughs> price. And there's also Ali, Ali, um, Ali Ex AliExpress and Alibaba's, yeah. So, um, yeah, so we obviously we made our place COVID safe, you know, for our customers and, you know, sanitizers outside like everyone else, mm. you know, the signs um, at the front of the <clears throat> shop. Um, but what really made it work for us, and this is a little bit like, this is where the two, you know, Envy Barber's um, London is one brand and everything, but obviously we've got two areas here. We've got Chingford, which is East London, very mixed clientele and then we've got the high end which is Covent Garden so Covent Garden has always been an appointment place but appointments with no prepay so obviously we was Covid safe now we're not opened yet we're still pre-planning how are we going to move forward with you know adapting to clients feeling safe when they come into our salon because we all queued up at you know Tesco, Sainsbury's, Lidl's mm. and everywhere else so like we we was very cautious on how do we move forward to the to the to the next platform basically um and move to the next direction so um where we were familiar with appointments in in covent garden the one thing we noticed with appointments in covent garden uh, which we cut here for 55 pounds in central london we found that there was a lot of people that would make an appointment at five four five o'clock on a certain day with myself or any other barber and um just not turn up you know and it's a regular client so the next time they come in they'll be like oh yeah sorry sheriff i didn't turn up last time um i was stuck in a meeting or um, i had to rush off home no phone call to cancel mm -hmm. no real apology thank you very much i've just lost 55 pounds and I might have had a client coming in, say, you know, 10 minutes after this guy's appointment was, and it would be like, well, how long do I wait for this guy to turn up? I've tried calling him, there's no answer, no reply to emails. So I would lose another client. So where I could have replaced that client, I've now lost my existing client and the client that could have walked in and actually potentially had his hair cut. Yeah. So, you know, like we was looking at all these, you know, like, um, booking apps and stuff like that 
and fair play to all of them we looked into them and they're they're all like pretty reasonable and you know that they're, they're all fairly priced and you know they, they all do the marketing and the advertising and whatever but there was one guy that captured me his name was Damien <laughs> from Squire and he was just persistent I mean he dropped me Instagrams he dropped me um, you know, emails, he dropped, I don't know where he got my number from, I know it's on my website, but yeah. he, he texts me and this guy just won't go away. And I was like, get off my shoe, like, get off me, like, yeah, yeah. you know, like one of these guys. But yeah, I spoke to him um, from Squire and I was like, look, what can you do for me that anyone else can't? So he, he said, look, let me, let me get a meeting with the technical team. I said, no, 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 no. I want to speak to them. I want to speak to you. You're, you're the guy that's selling this to me. I want to speak to you. So I, I spoke to him, he explained exactly what he did. And as a business owner, being in business for over 20 years, I know what I want in my system because I use up-to-date systems. Mm. Unlike a lot of barbershops that just use a, you know, a piano style till, we've always had you know, till systems like hairdressers. So um, he told me what his app does. And then I asked him if it can do this, can you add this to it, can you add that to it? And he said, right, now let's get the technical team involved and we'll have a Zoom meeting. Um, we spoke to a couple of guys like Gerard and um, a few of the other guys and they said, yeah, we can implement that, we can do this and we can also build you an app, okay? And um, we can do that on Android, we can do that on smartphones. Um, we can actually do your appointment system however you want. And that's what captured me was I could make my appointment system to work for me mm. in any way that I wanted. And that's what was the important question. It wasn't actually, from that point, it wasn't the money. It wasn't how much is this gonna now cost me? It was the fact that anything as a businessman I could think of, like what can this system do for me? It did. Yeah. Now I know about business inside out. I mean, uh, you know, from, the back end of it to the appointments to collecting the data you know to making customers feel comfortable now i've got to take you back because this will work for covent garden easy but how does this work for a barber shop in east london which is 50 50 with you know hardcore young rappers yeah <laughs> yeah that don't actually rap <laughs> to you know your middle class and to a few of your, you know, maybe aristocrats and whatever, right? To mums that are coming in with their kids. So this had to work for everyone. And now we're moving to a shop that never had appointments to now tell everyone, hold up guys, you can't come in, it's appointment only. We had to get this message across and we had to get it across quick. Cause I don't know if you remember, but when he announced it in July that we was going back, he literally gave us under a week to, to be ready yeah, for. Yeah, it was real, real yeah. quick, wasn't it? Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, obviously we COVID safed it before because we knew from supermarkets and, you know, all the other shops that were, you know, doing all the, um, you know, COVID safe stuff. So, and um, to be honest, Squire ticks all boxes and they actually really went beyond and further than they could. Um, in adapting the appointment system to work for me and my salon. And I explained to them about Chingford, that people don't like waiting, the cancellations, blah, blah, blah. And um, they basically said to me, look, you can have people prepay. And that will solve your problem. And that was it for me.
Um, so yeah, so basically where it's all prepaid. So we introduced the prepaid booking system, giving, allowing people a four hour cancellation period um, or you lose your money. Mm. And to be honest, I would not go back on it. Like Squire for us, especially for Chingford and Common Garden, actually saved our business to the point of Boris and his free Belen's closing us down. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it I gave mean, you the control to be able to, you know, have that security that you yeah. know that if someone's not going to turn up, you're still not going to yeah. lose that money from that. From yeah. as a from a business owner's point of view, yeah. like probably the best thing, like you said, it's the best thing. And um, <laughs> we had to put our prices up. Hopefully, like everyone else had to, um, it allowed me to introduce my barbers back slowly because I could see their appointment time. So we all came back with shortened hours. And as we were getting busier, we would open one more hour at the, you know, in the morning and one more hour in the evening. So we, we, we worked with the app that allowed us to conduct our business in a different way that we've never done before. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, it worked great for us. And, um, and then Boris shut us down again. Why? Why? <laughs> so, um, and then from that then, so obviously the ups and downs, so was open from July till November, shut down again in November, yeah. then reopened again from December, yeah. shut down again like in, I don't know, what was it? Just before Christmas. 19th of December to yeah. be precise. And it was 3.30 in the afternoon yeah. with um, five barbers working flat out, yeah. fully booked until uh, the 24th of December. All of my staff agreed because of the November lockdown that they would work any time of the evening as long as bookings came in. And this is where we could open up the app. So we would do until eight o'clock, then nine o'clock, then yeah. 10 o'clock. So it was fully booked until the 24th of December. And then when we came back on the 29th, we was fully booked until the 31st. And that night on the 19th, I'd never forget, I went home and I sat on that computer and I had to sit there manually pressing refunds on everyone's bookings yeah. because we weren't gonna get to do them the next day. And it broke my heart because it was thousands of pounds that we lost out on. But, you know, it's just amazing how Squire helps move your business to the next level. Yeah. So obviously with that now, we're still in lockdown. We are indeed. We are still in lockdown. So what? Social distancing. Obviously, come on. One metre and a half. Exactly. That, that extra <laughs> half really counts. It does. So what, um, you know, how have you been trying to keep yourself busy, occupied, <sighs> sane? You know, because yeah. this time around with this lockdown, I think for everyone, you know, is a lot more difficult in the sense that we know what it's all about, but then the weather's horrendous, mm -hmm. too cold outside to like go on a walk, walk somewhere yeah. else. It just feels really weird and strange at this yeah. moment in time because then you've got a lot of people that's abided by the rules, but then a lot of people that are just like, no, you know, so this, you know, mm. doing what we want to do. And then cases going up and down. Mm. Like, how have you, you know, do you, do you see that light at the end of the tunnel? Do you have things in mind that you want to do when we get back and going again? Yeah, I mean, look, I'm, like the first thing I'd like to say before I even answer that question is, this is a national lockdown, right? <laughs> this is no joke. This is a national lockdown. 
Now, and this I is know, obviously work. Yeah, this is work. This is essential work. Now, I know where I'm going when I'm going to Tesco's to do my shopping. I want to know where everyone else is going and why I'm sitting in traffic every time I leave my house at a different time to go to Tesco's, mm. right? That's the first thing I want to know. But answering your question is this. Am I keeping sane? Well, yes, I'm trying to keep motivated and sane. Um, sanity is... Is, is, is a very difficult thing to do in these current climates, the weather, the actual lockdown, the reason why they um, lock us down. Um, do I believe in COVID? Yes, I do. It's real and it's deadly and it does kill people. Not just the disease, but mental health, suicides and everything else. It does kill people in, in all different ways, okay? Um, but at the same time, uh, it's a hard one. Keeping sane is not easy because you literally are limited to what you can do. Then you've got the business sector where you're thinking about when am I going to open my business? Am I going to open my business? Am I going to survive to open my business? Yeah, it's all very well that we're all getting grants. And if you're not getting grants, you're getting handouts or universal credits or you're getting cherries or whatever. Some of us are maybe not getting anything, but this is why you need to be employed or own your own business and run it correctly. So move to the next direction. But I am, like everyone else, finding it hard this time round. Um, do I think there's end, light at the end of the tunnel, tunnel? Guys, this is the United Kingdom, man. We've been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. We'll always make it through the tunnel. Mm. <laughs> okay, so last question for you, which you have no clue which I'm going to ask you. Oh, right, okay, so basically, I just making me ask nervous you, now. Nah. Do you know, to be honest with you, <laughs> if you watched the first one, I basically ask every, I'm going to ask everyone the same question. So, last meal, it needs to consist, so this is nothing to do with anything, it's just about your personality. So, last meal needs to consist of a starter, main, and a dessert. What would it be? It's your last supper. It's, it's, it's last my last one. meal. Last one ever. Last one really? Ever. Yeah. Oh, what would it be? wow. So start, a main and, start a main and dessert. Start a main dessert. Yeah. Well, all right. So a lot of people weren't going to know this one, but, you know, like um, a lamb's head soup with lamb's brain in it. Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, what, yeah. Where, where does that originate from? That is so that, random. That is Turkish, and okay, that, okay. Is, that is from Cyprus and Turkey. Okay. Uh, loads of vinegar in it and some, and some chili flakes. Yeah, I've yeah. never tried that before. Yeah, I, I need to try it. I need to try that. You need yeah. to get me to try it with you. Oh, definitely. Yeah, did yeah. your mum do it, did she? No, actually, she did do it for my friend a few weeks ago. Yeah. Um, but no, uh, I mainly get that in restaurants because it's not really something... Because you actually do have to cook lamb's head. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so obviously you're not a vegan or a vegetarian. I, I am a vegan. <laughs> I do have salad uh, with my kebabs. Yeah. But I also enjoy the meat, um, which, um, yeah. Okay, so, so then, <laughs> so that for start, and what would your main be? What well, you know me, I'm a kebab man, man. Like, I like a big juicy kebab, mate. Like, and it ain't your grizzly kebab shop. I like, you know, the, the places I take you. Yeah, yeah. The Turkish platter yeah. that comes out with all the chicken kebabs and the lambs and yeah. the köftes and the, the chops and I love, I love meat. I'm not, a, sorry, I'm not a vegetarian, guys. No offense, but you know. 
Okay, and then what about for dessert? What would it be? Come on, you know it's pot lover. Pot lover, <laughs> mate. You're just, like, you're just Turkish food. Oh, <laughs> whoa, <Last> look. <laughs> come on, man. You know it's got flavour. You know. No, no, and it's healthy. Yeah, healthy one because yeah. it's got honey on it. <laughs> whoa, well, the dessert's not healthy, but the, you know, a little Turkish tea after. Nice. You know. So it's full on Turkish. It's full on Turkish for me, yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So guys, once again, Sheriff, thank you so much for joining me in thank the chair. Thank you, Kevin. It's been a real pleasure talking to one of my closest and dearest friends. Yeah. Until next time, guys, thank you once again, and I'll see you next time.